Welcome to the Water Channel Podcast, a series of conversations on water, food, agriculture, and environmental sustainability. We feature stories and talks that reflect our present and are shaping our future. This is Long Wang from Meta Meta. My pleasure to host our podcast of today. In this episode, we have the great pleasure to talk to Dr. Micha Werner, an associate professor in river basin management and flood risk management at IHE Delft. Micha is also a senior hydrologist at Delta Aris. We will be talking with Micha about groundwater resource management, which recently gained a lot of traction and attention, both from the scientific and the policy-making domains, after the UN Water decided to pick up groundwater as the main theme of this year's World Water Day. In fact, declining groundwater table, pollution and unequal distribution of this life-sustaining resource across social groups, sectors and locations are directly affecting income and livelihood of millions of people. In countries like Colombia, where rainfall is plenty, groundwater is also playing an essential role in balancing the needs and unequal distribution of water availability over the seasons. In such context, groundwater seems to be not of major concern, but the decline in availability and quality of groundwater is visible and require immediate interventions. According to Micha, much of what currently and will be driving these interventions is the question of how scientists and policymakers can sit together and jointly derive appropriate actions. All of this we'll find out in today's conversation with Micha. So thank you very much, Micha, for uh, making time and inviting us to the beautiful IHE. Pleasure. Very happy to be back after quite some years, uh, I think, because pre-COVID, I have not been here. Very curious to hear from you insight about Colombia, the country, about the water there, the groundwater resource there, and talk about science policy interface, which is of great interest, personally. So thank you very much for that. Um, let us talk about Colombia as a country. Um, I must admit, as somebody from Asia, I heard of the name. I have a few colleagues and friends from the country, but I know very little about the country except uh, the great coffee, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think some of the audience would share with me that position. Um, could you give a little bit of a taste about the country? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, Long. And uh, yeah, it's great. Great that you could come here and and and. And joining this conversation, indeed, uh, about Colombia and about some of the work we're doing there, and indeed, I can imagine for for many folks, Colombia is, is yeah, we, we we probably know the country and and have some ideas of of the country, but aren't very yeah, what kind of country is well, uh, it's obviously in South America. It's a relatively large country uh, country with a population of certain forty forty eight million, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and it's a it's a very tropical country, and um, I mean, I think we all have pictures of uh, of dancing i think that's also something that people reflect colombian and music is is central to the to the to the culture and what are the climate and the nature like in colombia it's it's a tropical country in the north of south america so generally it's quite warm but it's also a very mountainous country so it's um, the the andean chain so the main ch- uh, mountain chain in south america kind of ends in colombia and um, and as such there's a there's there's a great diversity of of, of let's say you know mountainous um, ecosystems or you know and and people living in the mountains. Interestingly, most of the large cities um, were uh, which were established by the Spanish conquistadores um, and the colonial um, powers were established in the mountains. 
Um, so the capital, Bogotá, is actually a very cold place. So even though you're very close to the equator, it's relatively cool because it's at 2,600 meters. So usually the, the, the climate is relatively cool. So you think you're going to the tropics, but still you'll be cold. But the north of the country, which is also uh, particularly the Caribbean coast, um, which is where the, the Magdalena River, which is one of the largest river systems in the, in the country, um, maybe not the largest river because it, Colombia also um, has a part of the Amazon basin, which is obviously a huge river. But Magdalena River is sort of the, the main stay economic river because most of the people live in the Magdalena Basin. And that flows into the Caribbean coast, which is a very flat, much warmer area. And so much more you know, tropical as we would associate that with ourselves. Um, and I think that also shows the, the great diversity um, in the country and also in terms of um, you know, the great diversity of, for example, fruit. I mean, that's something that is amazing in Colombia. If you, if, if you ever want to eat fruit, head for Colombia and you will, you will find thousands of types of fruits that you've never even heard before and, and enjoy them very much. Interesting, very interesting and inspiring actually to, to go there as, as, a, as a, a, a visitor to just experience the country. I can imagine that with this variation in the topography mm -hmm. and the in variation in the climatic uh, conditions, the biodiversity is great there. And I'm curious about the, the nature resource base of the country and uh, mm -hmm. how does it look like? Well, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's one of the biodiversity hotspots of the world. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it has the largest amount of species or, you know, but it, it really ranks very high in the, um, in the amount of different species that you have, particularly in the, in the tropical forest and the Amazon basin and, and again in the north, as well as the marine, uh, the marine areas around the, around the country. And at the same time, this, this biodiversity is, is, is something that, um, that needs to be protected. I mean, and I think Colombia actually has a, um, is reasonably well developed in terms of national parks. But at the same time, obviously, the natural resources are, are somewhat under pressure because it's a country which is, which is developing. It's also coming out of an era of, of conflict and, and, and there are quite still some conflictuous issues in the, in the country, as you may know from the news. Um, but it is developing. It's developing economically, um, you know, industry, but also agriculture, and the population is also growing. Um, and as and as such, there's an increasing pressure on um, on natural resources, so water, other natural resources, um, but also you know pressure on 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 natural areas such as forests, and um, and so deforestation is an issue and particularly conversion of forests towards um, agriculture pastures for cows, especially in the mountains. Uh, grazing cows is a, is a major issue. You also mentioned coffee, for example, which, uh, which indeed is a, a very important uh, product of the country, as well as bananas and, and, and sugarcane. Um, what, what's interesting, in fact, about coffee is that, that, that what we see um, in, in the country is that coffee is a, is a crop that has to be grown at elevation. You can't grow it on the coast, it's grown in the mountains. But the, in Colombia, they also um, are facing the impacts of the changing climate. So temperatures are rising slightly. And as a result, you also see that coffee is also rising. But that is putting quite some pressure also on the on a quite unique natural resource that you have in the high Andean mountains, something called a paramo, which is a... Um, It's a, it's a high mount, high mountain wetland. 
ecosystem um, at about three and a half thousand, four thousand meters. But as these coffee plantations and other agricultural practices um, go up, um, that's putting pressure on those um, those systems. And yet, those systems are of incredible importance as a water resource to, for example, the cities because they're like a, a sponge. It's like a huge reservoir that is in the high mountain system. So losing those ecosystems will also lose uh, part of the sort of the rich water resource of the country. It's actually a very water resource rich country and um, there's a little corner in Colombia just by the corner with Panama there which they claim is the wettest place on earth. It rains 12 meters uh, so 12,000 millimeters per year so that's like 15 times the Netherlands. I mean that's an incredible man. It always pours it down. Uh, but other areas are deserts. So there's again a huge, you know, diversity of, of climates and, and water resources systems. And even in places, um, one of the places we'll work, which we'll, we'll come on later in the discussion, has a lot of rain. So you think, why is there an issue here? But it also rains in certain months and other months are dry. So the seasonality is, is, is creating a, a challenge for the people. It's not the amount, the total, total amount in the year itself. Right. Yeah. Right, that's that's a good point. It's it's seasonality. Um, there's most of the country has two wet seasons and two dry seasons, um, and the country also is quite um, what we call teleconnected. So some of you may have heard of the El Nino Southern Oscillation. So there's like large climatic patterns um, across the Earth. So in an El Nino year, uh, Colombia is relatively dry, drier than normal, and in a La Nina year. Typically, it's it's much wetter than normal, and and so there there might be flooding. So it, it, there's a lot of climatic variability in the country. That's absolutely right. Great, and I see a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm when when you talk about water. Mm-hmm. I would make a guess that water is the element that bring you that brought you to Colombia. Is it true? It is. It is. It is very much and. Um, interestingly, at, at IG we have quite a long-standing history with uh, with Colombia, and I got connected through a, a PhD student who actually wanted to look at flood forecasting, which is well, part of my history of my uh, research area, is in operational processes and f- flood forecasting, so developing flood forecasting capabilities in the country. And indeed, coming back to um, La Nina, so in 2010, 2011, there was quite extensive flooding in the country um, and um, large tracts especially of the coastal areas in the north were flooded and um, and that's when we really got involved um, through collaboration of the Dutch government and the Colombian government which actually goes back through to the 70s um, so before my time kind of <laughs> and um, and as a kind of a follow-up from that we you know, we've always had a long relationship with Colombia, but particularly on the water um, sanitation programs. But that kind of broadened our connection in terms of water resources management and um, also got us into um, a couple of efforts in a, in a DUPC, um, previous DUPC project in the first phase, in which we we're quite involved in, in the developing policy on water resource management. So in Colombia, they actually adopted... Um, back in 2010, they adopted a, a, a new policy on integrated water resource management, which was quite progressive, if you th- if you think so. It was quite an advanced policy with, with you know um, planning frameworks, um, a- addressing um, water resource planning, 
particularly at the basin level. So the country is divided into all sorts of macro basins, and then um, they have you know, the basin divisions, sort of macro basins. There's five in the country, and then there's sort of basins within that. And each of them has to develop a basin management plan. And um, that's when we really got involved in this. And that basin management plan is is on all water resources, um, so surface water resources, groundwater resources, demand management, risk management, so it has all sorts of dimensions. And and within the policy, there's also a particular focus on um, management plans for aquifers, for example, and um, groundwater aquifers, because groundwater is a, it's a resource which is relatively poorly understood in the country um, and you know the, the main connection being such a water resource country with such a lot of rainfall is that people always surface water is it's there it's everywhere but groundwater is quite an important resource and a resource that's becoming increasingly important in the country particularly in some areas i mean it kind of depends where you are and um, and it supports several activities i mean we obviously think of drinking water but the main you know, role of groundwater, how it's utilized is, is, is for irrigation um, in areas in dry seasons. You know, in wet season, no one needs groundwater because it's raining. <laughs> but in the dry season, they may use uh, groundwater to uh, to irrigate. So, yeah, that's when we started to get involved in, okay, this, this policy development. But at the same time, um, kind of the questions about about the science that underlies that policy, and um, and and that's that's where we really got into yeah some of the interesting connections between you know research and and to support that policy. And now that we are, uh, we are talking about uh, the, the the science uh, that that can fit into the policy, I would like to talk about the the project that you are mm -hmm. running, the evidence for policy project. Right. Um, could you please, uh, in a nutshell, describe the objectives of these okay. of this project? Yeah, sure. So it's, it's maybe following on particularly from this discussion about the, let's say, the involvement of the policy within the country. And um, so at the first stage, we, we were quite involved in this water resource management policy and this river basin management planning. And, um, and we also developed a couple of projects which were a little bit between research and consultancy if you can, you can say and and one of those um that we that we were involved in is in an area in the south uh, west of the country near the city of cali for those who know colombia which for those who know colombia is of course the salsa capital of the of the world so it's a wonderful place to be and um but it's also an extensive sugarcane area and um and that area, in that area, they irrigate um, extensively the, the sugar cane because it's a quite water-hungry crop. It's also a bit of a cash crop, so there's all sorts of debate about whether it should be grown. But anyway, we'll not, won't go there here. Um, but there's a lot of questions about, you know, sustainable use of water resource or groundwater resource in the area because you, you, the question is, is it being overexploited? And other questions were the impacts of groundwater usage, which kind of, you know, we, we started on that in that area, but applies to the whole country, um, is that, you know, wetlands may be affected. And there's a lot of wetlands in uh, in Colombia that's, you know, supported biodiversity and also have cultural value. Um, so groundwater abstraction was or was not, so those were some of the questions, affecting those wetlands. Um, and through that, we got quite involved in the, in the national debate um, in Colombia, and so because that was in that 
that particular region, but in the national debate with the Ministry of Water Resources and the National Hydrometeorological Institute called IRIAM. And um, they had set up a program um, called PENASUP, which is in Spanish. So it's like a national groundwater management program. And one of the things that they were assessing was what is the state of affairs in terms of the groundwater systems and also the connections to, to wetlands, but also what is the state of affairs in capabilities of particularly the regional water um, resource management agencies in the implementation of those policies. And what came out of that quite clearly was that in some areas there's quite a well-developed knowledge base it's in about five of the 22 sort of water resource management agencies. In five or six more, there was like a kind of knowledge and for the rest, it was a blank sheet. And so that kind of, you know, sparked the thought about this particular project that looked at, okay, you know, it, the project is called Evidence for Policy and the name kind of alludes to it that what we particularly saw through those analyses was that there was kind of a, a lack of a scientific evidence base in many of the regions um, to implement those quite progressive policies and not just scientific evidence, but also actually capacity, just simple, the amount of people you know, who were studying groundwater was quite limited. And for those who did study groundwater and, and geology, for example, they would often be nabbed off by the oil industry because there's also quite a lot of, let's say, mining industry and hydrocarbons, and they tend to pay more than water resources people. So maintenance of capacity is quite a, quite a problem in the country, actually. Okay, interesting. And, and, and Micha, you mentioned that the evidence-based, uh, the, the science base for, for groundwater management is, is sometimes lacking. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like to put a few specific examples here, if we can on what do we mean when we talk about the science or the evidence base for it. Right. So that, that, that's interesting because it, it maybe kind of provides a rationale sort of how we, how we constructed um, the project because when we think of that, that lack of an evidence base, it's, it's at multiple levels. So um, on the one hand, it's, uh, for example, an understanding of the system itself. So, you know, how does the groundwater system uh, function? What is the amount of renewable resource, for example? How much recharge do we have? Where does recharge come from? Um, what happens, you know, when we start to exploit the groundwater system? So that's a yeah, very sort of, you know, physical sciences question, if you like, um, supported by data and field investigation. But at the same time, there's very much the, the usage of groundwater system and how that impacts certain communities and what are the trade-offs and who makes decisions. Um, I'll come back to this example of um, the, let's say, this sugarcane um, in the southwest of the country. There, well, it's, sugarcane is exploited, but there's different types of users. There's, you know, large industrial farming uh, companies, if you like, but there's also smaller scale farmers, and and in that area, interestingly enough, has a long tradition of of um, also based on the financial resource that they have, because that's of course one of the things that drives some of the um, let's say disbalance between knowledge that that area is, is due to the sugarcane industry. There's quite a lot of investment also in in science, so there's actually quite a lot of 
data, I mean, I say comparatively lot of data, <laughs> let's say on, on hydrometrology, on the hydrogeology, so there's also models partly developed by us in, in other projects of the groundwater system, so the, the, the physical evidence base was quite well established. What was more complicated in that area was the relationship between the different players. Um, because there's also quite a lot of economic interests and political interests come into play. We were working in another area, so the, the, the project focused on three areas of which the sugarcane area is one of them. The second area we worked in is in the north um, west of the country, near the border of Panama, which is a, a banana area. So if you go there, if you don't like bananas, don't go. Because <laughs> as far as the eye, if you look, when, you, when you're there, you see bananas. And um, and obviously they kind of require water, but something that really surprised me um, because that area is super rainy. I mean, I remember, I recall sitting at the airport once, there's a local airport trying to get away, and the airport was closed because it was raining. And when I say raining, I mean raining. <laughs> so there was like a, a half a meter of water over the runway, let's say. So it was pouring it down. You think, why why did they have a groundwater issue here? And But... Yeah, there are times when they need to abstract groundwater, but not to irrigate. In that particular area, they use groundwater to wash the bananas of the pesticides. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> and um, so there's all sorts of issues that come up um, there, but there's also a lot of indigenous communities and local communities that, that use groundwater for the community water supply. It's a much poorer area. Um, but interestingly there, the uh, university we were working with, um, the University of Antioquia, who have their main campus in Medellin, which is a, one of the main cities of Colombia. They've been working in that area for 20 years. And, um, and, and so there's like a very good relationship between the different actors. And the third area we were working in was in the north, yeah, kind of east central of the country on the Caribbean coast also, um, right where the, the Magdalena River empties into the Caribbean. And, um, and that's a very dry area. And um, so quite different area, much less developed area. And um, so the the agricultural systems are poorly developed. Some attempts were made to create irrigation areas. Didn't really work out. And there's a lot of uh, livestock. Um, and there's some use of groundwater, but it's it's highly, highly non-regulated, I should say. Um, nobody really knows what's being used where and nobody really has an understanding of the resource. So there's a very, very low developed uh, science base, if you like, uh, on all facets. So the physical system as well as the social system. And so that was also one of the objectives of the country, of the project, um, because, yeah, we had this diversity between these areas. And what's, I think, very, very important to to mention here is that, you know, we worked in this project very much with our partners and I think they are paramount in, in, in this project. So in each of these areas, we worked with the universities, the University Universidad del Valle in, uh, in Cali, and which is a university that we have a long-standing relationship here at IHE with, and um, the University of Antioquia in Medellin and University del Norte in, in Barranquilla, which is the city at the, where the Magdalena empties into the Caribbean. And... Um, and also within those universities, you also see diversity of, of knowledge and how they work. And I think that's also quite interesting because, you know, when we talk in this project about learning 
and and it's also between these universities so this university in this area that was quite dry where there's not that much knowledge their main expertise is on the large hydraulic systems like the Magdalena River because that's where they are they're right on the banks more or less yeah. <laughs> and um, so their their groundwater team was sort of kind of establishing itself so this project also helped them get along there not so much learning from us also but also learning from the other partners in Colombia so I think that was really nice those horizontal yeah. relationships yeah yeah interesting interesting so we're talking about the the, the, the knowledge and the evidence base mm -hmm. universities and people working in academia uh, in that region right. uh, definitely are the main, let's say, holder of the knowledge, holder of mm. the evidence base. Mm. Uh, who else are uh, holding this, this knowledge and this evidence uh, rather than the academia in the region? Right. Um, multiple levels. Um, and I think that's also quite interesting in how we can move knowledge across these different levels. So at the first level is, I think... Um, The, let's say these regional water authorities, of course, they're a, they're a knowledge holder um, and uh, also uh, implementation of the policy. Of course, they have a very formal role, uh, which can be conflictuous at times to some users. Um, I think what was very interesting was that we had very close ties. And when I say we, I particularly acknowledge the universities we were working with, because some of them, these close ties had been established 20 years ago, you know, so it's, this project contributes to that but didn't establish everything. Um, but we especially tried to make those ties. So sometimes, you know, students, there was a lot of students that were involved in this and um, would also work at the university as well as at this regional water authority. So that, that kind of shared knowledge, you know, that they have from their practical hat, if you like, as well as their academic hat. At the same time, a very important knowledge holder is you know, the, the different actors that are um, um, in the field. There was one partner that we were working with um, besides the three universities was the Sugarcane Research Institute in that particular area. So they were established as a research institute by the industry. So they have that dimension of knowledge. Um, and also a water user association. So an association of... In, in a little sub-basin, I mean, we've worked in a, in a specific area, um, which brings together particularly the, the smaller water users um, for sugarcane in that case, but also, you know, other water users like um, like community drinking water systems, um, you know, what is it, livestock farmers, yeah, so the, sort of a wide diversity Of, of groups who, who have well-founded knowledge about their water system and their needs and, 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 and their interactions. Could you recall any classes, different interests or challenges in general? Sure, there were conflicts. I mean, you know, we, we, I, remember, I recall meetings when people would stand up and say, you know, you know who, who do you think you are in imposing restrictions on us? You know, because that's, that's what happens in the reality of scarce water resources that, that the, the, the water authority would sometimes pose restrictions and that would have economic and social impact. So there was conflict. And the university played an amazing role at, at mediating that conflict, but were also accepted by all those communities as a, as a mediator. I think that's, that trust relationship is very important. Um, we saw that built in one of the other areas. We saw that building where the knowledge was kind of building, but in that sugarcane area, the, <laughs> 
there's a little bit of a historic distrust between some of the players and the university. And so you see that was much more difficult to play that role as a sort of a sort of a trusted hub. And I thought that was a very interesting experience in also the ability of the university. They, you know, they would even give quite technical courses to these communities that you think, well, you know, some people say, wow, that's that's um, quite scientific knowledge that you're trying to impart on people who may not have a formal education. But they did that very well. And um, and actually, we made some little videos. And um, in those, you'll see some interviews with these community players. And they say, well, what we really appreciated about that is that we see ourselves as multipliers. So, you know, there's representation at these training courses, and they would go back and, you know, interact with their peers, if you like, on the, in, in, in the field in different communities to, you know, think about the protection of, of groundwater resources and, and um, for example, you know, making sure that the, there's no pollution of the resource through through some of the surface wells that they had and these type of things. Yeah, maybe a very long answer to your question about knowledge, but particularly those trust relationship and bringing people to the table to to speak in a common language, I think that was that was an amazing, yeah, thing that was happening in in sort of related to this project. Yeah, and I, and I think it's 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 a big compliment. Um, it's a great achievement that that within the time frame the project um, the the project partners managed to bring together this multi stakeholder platform. Um, what do you observe concretely coming out of that? Um, well, may, maybe. First, um, just to reflect a little bit what, what I think is, is, is important. I mean, I agree this project f helped facilitate that process, but I, I would think it would be too, um, too bold to say that we created it. And I, I, and I think that's an important thing when we reflect back at these types of projects and also building long-term relationships is that, I, I, you know, the kudos to that go very much out to the university who've, who've been on the field in that area for 20 years and um and actually the manager of the water resource agency is also doing a phd the university there's all sorts of personal relationships that we we helped but you know we didn't establish and um but I, what i do see coming out of that um is you know the the in in, in the first place Let's say, you know, yes, there's still a lot of research to be done on the groundwater system there and, and understanding the physics and understanding who the players are. But by bringing people together to the table, um, there's also an appetite for sharing that knowledge. And and I think that's a very interesting um, thing, you know, because it creates a space to exchange knowledge between all these uh, between all these different groups. And um, and I think that will certainly be beneficial to the you know to the longer term, you know, sustainable development of, of water resources in that area. And and in any case, that example is also seen in the country um, because as it's a, it's a part of the policy actually to establish these types of multi-stakeholder platforms. But how to do it? <laughs> Big question. So it's also seen as a, you know, as a, as a as a learning example across the country that people say, "We well, you know, this is how they approach that," and and you know that can be replicated and copied across the country, also across the region. I mean, with, we've even had some contact in Costa Rica, and we did a couple of workshops, you know, to ha well, how did this work? And you know, people are very interested in in replication in other similar sort of policy science environments. So. 
uh, I suppose this is a multi-year project with uh, a large team. Mm -hmm. So there will be surprises here and there in terms of the knowledge, in terms of operation. Could you recall anything? Yeah, there were quite new insights into um, particularly the sources of salinity in the air and why certain people use groundwater and why they don't use groundwater, which was previously unknown. At the more generic scale, I think particularly this multi-actor stakeholder platform that I, that I mentioned in, in this Uraba, the banana area, a banana growing area, I think that was really a yeah, a, a surprise perhaps or, a, or an interesting insight into how that process could be made to work. I think what is particularly challenging is how can something like this be made to be sustainable uh, beyond the life of a project. The drive was very much to to do that, not so much by the project itself, but by the yeah, also by the university um, that that you know that was the main sort of facilitator at the start. But they actively tried to make themselves redundant, and I think that's a that's a very interesting insight into um, yeah into these sorts of activities that you you cannot simply because of who you are be a continuous player in some of these activities so it has to be taken up by that community just by the way i think that those that in those interactions were constituted and by the role that people saw themselves playing they sort of made it acceptable that 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 continuity was sought without the need for the university to keep facilitating everything that it became a self-sustaining entity yeah i think i've learned uh, fascinating uh, things about the evidence for policy project mm -hmm. and I think the more we talk into this project the more we are getting to uh, kind of a very trendy term these days mm -hmm. uh, which is science policy exchange or science policy interfaces sometimes science policy dialogues mm -hmm. um, to me it always is a kind of a fancy yet quite vague term mm. so i would like to go into that discussion a little bit and, and try to find out what do we mean with that and what are the activities what are the things that we should be discussing when we talk about these things right. uh, the first question would be then um, what do we as researchers or as uh, let's say water professionals mean by uh, let's say science policy exchange mm -hmm. what is the difference comparing to the way policy have been made um, earlier i think it's a, a very interesting question first of all I, 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 i'll point out that i'm you know no theoretical expert on science policy interchange so a lot of these things are just reflections i've i've made through um some of the research work i've done but also quite a lot of practical work on the ground and particularly implementing operational um water management systems and yeah to me let's say um you know the 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 objective i think is relatively clear i mean i think that the the role of of scientific evidence in um in establishing policy is is you know we probably don't need to talk about that let's say but, you know the, i think the importance of being able to make transparent policy you know you you, you need to make choices and and, and trade-offs um and being able to substantiate that based on, on on scientific knowledge, I think, yeah, makes the process transparent and, and defendable and and um, uh, repeatable, perhaps. Um, but indeed, how to how to get that process going? And um, 
what I think is super important, and I very much saw that, um, and we can maybe reflect back on the, on this particular project, but I think it's it's across the board, is this process of translation and translators. And, um, you know, in a scientific team, uh, as well as in a policy team, you, you've got all sorts of folks that are involved. And um, I don't think there's a unique policymaker and a unique scientist. I don't think it exists. And, and, and so it should not. Um, because it's those diversity of interest that make the process interesting, I think. So I, I think what's really important in making those connections and they're very bi-directional because I think when we say science policy interface, it's not from science to policy, but also from policy to science. Um, and to do that, you need translators and not getting lost in translation. If you, um, so, you know, I thought that that was very explicit in in sort of some of the people that were involved in, for example, this evidence for policy project. Indeed, it is a two-way road that needs inputs and collaboration from both science and policy domains. What do you see from the project that actually drives this type of collaboration? I think what I learned from from this project, and I thought you know where it worked very well, is where those also trust relationships across um, across these you know these different um, science people involved in the science, people more involved in the policy and policy implementation, where that was well established, sort of the space to exchange scientific information and exchange um, um, also you know policy needs and, and, and perhaps the complexity of policy making was revealed I mean maybe a very interesting debate that we got into in, in the a, um, in the project is that we did some work on on groundwater recharge so to estimate you know for the renewable resource but also something which is a, a huge you know and a very contentious policy issue is um, delineation of groundwater protection zones. Oh boy, <laughs> because you know this means a lot to people because it means you know you can do certain economic activities there or you cannot, and so there's huge socio-economic impacts, um, but also environmental impacts, and so we did quite a lot of interfacing with this, with this you know some of the research that we that we that came out of the projects and they're trying to develop relatively simple methods in Colombia because that you know there's not enough data to do this at a very detailed level across the country I mean, it's a huge place 25 times the Netherlands and um, but so we engaged in a, in a process and you see that it's a very complicated process because you know different different ministries and different parties get involved and and that can be frustrating to a scientist that so you think well you know we, we've got quite a lot of information and, and, and evidence about certain things but it's just getting bogged down um, but being able to yeah to to play or participate in that process is I think is very beneficial also to scientists you know to translate the other way <laughs> so okay you know what, what are the complexities that people are faced with and why and what's what's behind the reasons for not for example adopting some of the scientific evidence straight away which is sometimes the scientists we get all frustrated about yeah yeah and I, I very much agree with the point that you made that this is of course a two-way road it's it's yeah. science to policy but at the same time it's policy to science and right. that is to say um that what I what I observe is that um, in the science domain we work in a different speed, we work in a different mechanism, we take different risks. Mm -hmm. um, in the policy domain, people uh, look at different time frames, 
Mm-hmm. The speed of, of taking activities is also very different. It's much longer, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, do you observe um, in, in the project, uh, evidence for policy, but also in other projects, mm-hmm. those differences in how do they create challenges or opportunities for, for this exchange to happen? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think particularly this this question of risks and what sort of you know risks do we talk about and maybe that also reflects on things like uncertainty which is always talked about um, a lot um, I mean I think what is what is important to appreciate in this two, two-way direction is the you know why do some of these processes take so long for example the polysite which might frustrate scientists who think well you know it's 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 incontrovertible the the evidence <laughs> right um is yeah the 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 the, the dimensionality of of the policy making is 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 much greater of course and and so there's there's all sorts of other risks that come into play that may not be you know either readily revealed or be outspoken i mean i think there's also a lot of you know unspoken risks that people have in mind personally i was i was in a <laughs> a uh, yeah it's a science policy communication project mm-hmm. and at the end of the project it was a very short one six months we together concluded that we have to learn on how we operate yeah we take very different risks and, and there are there were there are different responsibilities and the, the, the time frame are also very different and not necessarily a scientist would be you know very well informed about these differences the same time right. a politician who have the genuine interest to uh, take on the, the science, the data, the, the evidence mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. their policy, but they, uh, they need to be informed about the risks, about the uncertainty. That's, yeah. That's very interesting to just together admit that. And yeah. At the moment that we um, say, okay, that's, that's the difference. Uh, well, and I agree, and I, and, I, and I think it's even a reflection of what uncertainty and risk actually is to the different persons let's say that are involved and you know i I always like um as as a scientist we often talk about uncertainty and then um we create some complicated graph um with uh, uncertainty bounds and things and 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 then we go and say yeah we're going to have to you know teach people how to use that and how to interpret that and um and usually worry about that people aren't able to you know like policymakers or, or perhaps water users aren't able to interpret that uncertainty and um and i'm sure that you know this the the, the particular statistical challenges um may be very difficult to deal with but i think it's also a little bit yeah arrogant is maybe not the right word but it doesn't really respect in the the, the other types of uncertainties or other types of risks that are in the perception of, for example, the policymaker, if, you know, and these risks of the scientific you know, uncertainties that we think of the scientific dimensions are a part of that, but certainly not all of that. Um, and often people, I think water users or, or maybe not policy, you know, this example is maybe not policymakers, but for far- farmers, you know, they, they, they can deal quite well with uncertainty and um, and you know, how they look at certain information and trust and, you know, people can deal with risks, let's say, and trade-offs because you do it all the time. And, um, but, yeah, we might just express it in a different way. So appreciating these different perspe- 
perspectives on something like uncertainty. I think it's a very important, yeah, thing about about how we yeah make sort of uncertainty discussable or something or a, or a common language about uncertainty, which is very difficult, I think, because yeah, we, it's it's actually easy to go back to the statistical let's say, you know, the statistical descriptor of uncertainty, but I'm not sure it always does a service. I, I think so. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely not the whole full equation to it. Um, I think there should, there should be some more PhDs doing uh, some more research on, on, on these kind of uncertainties. Yeah. And, and particularly more research perhaps on different perceptions of uncertainty and what it means and how it's interpreted let's say and, and i think that it's a, it's a very interesting question and, and how people um, balance risks or not i mean it's something we do every day exactly yeah uh, Micha, talking about future activities i would like to go back to colombia mm-hmm. and i would like to take a forward-looking um, look at the evidence for policy project. Mm-hmm. I understand that the project is now finished, mm-hmm. um, but if you would like, to, or I, I, I suppose you also may have plans already on how you want to move forward in Colombia with this kind of work, I think it is very important and meaningful to continue it. Uh, so if you could share some ideas about what kind of activities and let's say the agenda points that you want to see yeah. happening. Right. Thanks for that. I think it's it's a very interesting question because it's you know there's there's all sorts of ambitions that we develop in in projects and I think that's maybe the nature of projects. There's also frustrations that you sometimes you work within a project frame. So there's like a, there's an end um, to what you're doing, which is which is maybe good. But I think what's what's really important um, is these longer term relationships and um, and and building on those with 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 those partners. Um, I think what's you know we we did identify some very concrete ideas on um, you know how could we go forward in in in, in for example you know some of the perceptions or or or, or understandings of the groundwater system. Um, and and also the users of the groundwater system and and you know f- perhaps within the context of these multi-actor stakeholder platforms is that is that actually changing things you know is there actually you know do, do you see that there's a more sustainable use and um and some of the directions that we were also very much thinking of is this question of you know that's that's kind of at the tip of everybody's tongue is you know this the climate change question which didn't really feature in in the work that we were doing. I mean, we 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 discussed it a few times, but you see that for a lot of the users on the ground, it's 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 you know it's a very abstract thing out there, and they're dealing they're dealing with their day to day issues. <laughs> let's say, I mean, at the at the policy making level, it's it's there. But so those are certainly some of the aspects that 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 we would like to explore further, and how you know that that can be brought for example into the into the discussion if you like because at the moment it's not in the discussion because you know the, the day-to-day issues are are, um, are there but from the scientific perspective there's quite a lot of understanding and knowledge that, that even in place of Colombia with a lot of water resource there is quite significant change that may or may not happen there's a lot of uncertainty <laughs> coming back to the uncertainty question um, so so yeah, particularly you know seeing how to, how that enrichment of 
let's say the the, the knowledge of the groundwater system and its users. I mean, I, I think you know when we talk about the science, it's it's not just the physical system, but also the whole social, economic, and environmental system of groundwater and actually water resources as a whole. I mean, that's that's maybe a very important point which also came up in the project is that we talk about groundwater here and that's a very important resource and i'm not a groundwater hydrologist by training either <laughs> um but it's it's very much sort of a whole water systems approach let's say i think that's a, that's a very important uh, so we we need to come out of the ground <laughs> so that's, that's the, our ambition as well yeah i think i think the system approach to it sounds very exciting i think it's um it's a good place to to uh, to end the podcast here. Mm-hmm. I would like to wish you a lot of health and inspiration and luck with continuing these these activities. I wish that let's say one year down the road I'll be back with you and maybe we talk about the project that is already going on with these activities. That'll be amazing. That would That'll be great. Be <laughs> that would be great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much, Michael.